Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for those Wakefield twins. Book number 73, Regina's Legacy. A simple gift turns into big trouble. Well, hello, hello, gladiators. It's me, Marissa Flaxbart, your host, and I am joined today by a very special guest, um, Phoebe Danaher. Have I said your name correctly, Phoebe? You have, and I appreciate that because people ask and then I say, and they're like, oh, it's how it's spelled. (laughs) Sure. I say, yeah, it's, I mean, it's Irish. We don't need to put any razzle-dazzle on there. Um, I actually have one of those names too, not Irish, of course, but um, literally changed the spelling of my last name to be phonetic. I didn't. My grandfather and my great uncle did. They were like, let's make it so that nobody can make any mistake. And in so doing, they created a name so unusual that people assume sometimes that they need to put some kind of wang on it. Like, Mm. but anyway, we're not here to talk about last names unless the last name in question is Mm -mm. Wakefield or Hunter. Another important last name of this book. We'll get there. I have a fun fact about Kate William who wrote this. Oh, because I looked up Kate Williams Sweet Valley. Okay, so it is a pseudo. It is a pseudonym, a nom de plume, if you insist. Um, That's right. the The person who is writing it, her actual name is Besky, and she was studying at Oxford when she became a Sweet Valley ghostwriter. Well, that's amazing. Studying like seventeenth century English lit. You know every. Well, so often, uh, pretty regularly on this book, because Kate William is listed as the author of all of these books. And uh, she, the creator, of course, is a real person, the famous Francine Pascal. But Kate William is a, is a pseudonym. I believe it's the name of Francine Pascal's children or something like that, or their middle names or something like that put together. But I have actually always found it really difficult to find information about who ghost wrote what book. And so I rarely actually even spend the time looking. So I'm excited that you did the research to find something out about the ghost writer well, this time. I don't know if it was for this one then. Oh, okay. Yeah. There definitely was like a stable of ghost writers. It wasn't like somebody wrote every single book um these books got churned out every month like a new like a magazine or something so there were a bunch of people that worked on that worked on them every month every month a new sweet valley high book that is okay that makes more sense because this one no offense to whoever did write this whichever version of kate william wrote this but i was like an oxford student wrote this (laughs) i should hope not (laughs) well Um, let's explore that. I guess um, that leads us really nicely into a question I often ask guests right off the bat here, which is, was this your first Sweet Valley High novel, Phoebe? Sort of. So when okay. I was at summer camp, we had a um, a counselor of ours read the first couple chapters of, I think it's Family Secrets, and it was in somewhere in the 40s of the books. And it's when they have the identical cousin, and it's very sure. Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember only being uh maybe 12 but thinking like how is this so innocent and virginal and yet so dark at the same time what's coming out of that wow and i really do think these take place in the same universe as david lynch's work and as um the virgin suicides i'm so delighted that you have like in the one book that you read when you were so much younger that you honed in on i think the thing we've been talking a thing we've been talking about so elementally in this podcast that I haven't even brought it up in a while, which is this thing of like, we used to always say these books use the word sexy a lot, but they never talk about sex. Um, And -hmm. this is a book, as we'll get to, that has some really scary, like dangerous behavior in terms of dating and like what the potential consequences are. But it it's almost like ignoring that yes so so gladiators this book regina's legacy it's called and we'll get into why it's called that it's very tenuous connection to our dear uh, regina morrow but it is kind of like a, a sort of um a brand, a version of these books that's called a super thriller where there's some kind of crime that the twins are solving usually those are these special edition books that take place in the summer um i guess after junior year but a super thriller where there's some kind of crime that's being solved However, those usually have even like even more danger than this. Um, so this was an I was surprised when this book unfolded and it became a serious mystery 
kind of crime drama book because especially because the first couple chapters of this book are very boring <laughs> like like so and that I only mentioned that because of the sweetness you were talking about the like sunshiny nature that seems at odds with all the danger or the like sort of like sexual undercurrent of the books um the beginning of this book is just all there is a new photography club and just over and over again talking about the photography club they're having another meeting it seems like a quarter of the junior class is a member of this photography club it's uh, everybody wants to know what's going on with the photography club i think the words photography club must appear in the first two chapters of this book you know 30 times almost as many times as sweet valley itself yeah absolutely absolutely which I went to art school and the one thing that I did not really connect with was photography. So it was again, like being hit over the head of, hey, you know this thing that you're, you're not a huge fan of? <laughs> well, you know, something that I found exciting about the photography element of the book was that it was another reminder of, you know, these books being written in 1990, in this case, this book, um, and just technology differences. And I mean, in my high school I had a photography class you could take where you would develop photos like this. But, you know, there's a lot of technology affecting the plot of this particular story that would not work in the same way in a modern retelling because of all of the waiting they have to do. There's a whole plot point involving enlarging a photo that's like delayed and delayed and delayed. And it pushes off the solving of the mystery because they can't, uh, they can't enlarge the photo until they get access to the equipment. It's kind of like watching Seinfeld and 20% of the episodes could be solved if they had cell phones. Absolutely, absolutely. It's true of so many. It's true of a lot of these books and it's true of so many shows from before cell phones, sitcoms. And, you know, now they'll do a thing in movies and TV shows where people have, there's some reason that the cell phones are gone, you know, because otherwise the story doesn't work if they still have phones. So we've given a lot of teases for the contents of this book. Um, the photography part is pretty self-evident um, from the beginning of looking at the cover of the book, of course. So let's describe the cover for the listeners. Um, we have Elizabeth Wakefield, and she's got a big uh, camera, big, beautiful, uh, I want to say DSLR, but of course it's not a digital camera. <laughs> it's, it's a film camera, a Nikon, we know. Yeah, big camera, big backpack. Very suspicious. She could not look more suspicious. Yeah, she's looking over her shoulder. She's got a cute little, like, leather backpack, it looks to me. And, yeah, she's, like, very suspicious of something going on. So the Regina's legacy part of this initially is just that um, in the end of the last book, Regina's mom, Sky Morrow, said that she had something for Elizabeth. And turns out that that something is... Uh, a camera, um, a very nice, like, high-end camera. Strangely enough, that's not the thing that gets Elizabeth interested in photography for the first time in her entire life. And in joining this photography club, that's just kind of a coincidence that all the timeline is lining up, that there is there is a new photography club. Jim Roberts, who in book 71 was mentioned as someone that Jessica and Lila don't know who he is, uh, but he was the boyfriend it, from the Shelley Novak book where she plays basketball gladiators. He's the boyfriend who takes pictures of her a lot and she hates it because she's self-conscious and then eventually they fall in love. So he's still taking pictures and he's started a photography club. Do you have yes. any thoughts on Jim you Roberts, sure Phoebe? Uh, no, and and I wish I did, but... There's not much to say about him. He's just like a guy. So. He I, likes photography. I like, feel like I should qualify this with my high school experience, which was please. I went to a New England boarding school, <laughs> um, which was one of Foucault's many carceral environments. So it was basically <laughs> Spoken like, like someone who's gone to New England boarding school. Yes. So it was basically I did homework all the time. Um, and, you know, you're you're there 24-7 uh, because it's a boarding school. If you are they're on the weekends and, and not going to New York to do drugs like the cool rich kids who did not invite me. Um, your science teacher would be prowling the grounds to make sure you weren't having sex. So something as mundane as this is actually uh, like weirdly fictional to me because the idea of mm -hmm. I went to high school classes and then I went to the club and then I went home is a fiction. That doesn't happen. You go back to your dorm and suffer. 
Um, so it, it adds on to like the weird suburbanness for me, just because it is so mm-hmm. unlike my experience. Which is all to say something like, "Oh, I have a high school sweetheart and and the basketball team." That was the case for some people, but I was like, you know, always suffering in AP. So that did not happen. Sure. Yeah, I have to say that as a student, as a person who went to public high school in um, the suburbs, there's a lot about these books that are fictional to me and don't bear any resemblance to my high school experience. But this particular book, you, the the fact of the photography club and the way that the students live their lives, that like that's very that like. I, like, I was thinking about the teacher uh, in our high school, the art teacher who was the photography guy. And, the, you know, there was always a hallway in the art department that was showcasing the latest artwork from the photography students. So that was pretty, pretty straightforward. The thing about the photography club in this book that is, I think, the hardest for me to swallow is they they meet up right away. All these kids are like, we've got to have a big project And they come up with this fine idea, you know, not super inspired, but fine, that they're going to make a mural that is a photo essay about the high school, which basically just means they're going to take a lot of pictures of kids around the high school and they're going to put them up on a wall. Then they're like, we're going to keep it a big secret and that's going to make it really exciting. And everybody wants to know the secret. Like, the fact that they've made this mural a secret at all, this project a secret, is, like, it's like a PR stunt, right? That, that everybody is so, is, is like, the, there's all this anticipation building. Like, what could the photography club possibly be doing? And then, lo and behold, at the end of the book, when they reveal the mural, it is, like, a huge event. And everybody's so excited about it. And I found all of that um, a little far-fetched. Yeah, the idea that all these people have this much school spirit was not something that I found very plausible. <laughs> Um, but it does remind me in my boarding school environment, our senior prefect giving the last, uh, giving the speech at graduation wept as she was saying, we will never walk down this hallway again and, and see our friends. And, and so some people do feel that about high school, but I was, I was going through because I'm, I'm at home in Michigan right now. I was going through some old papers and I found, uh, my high school diploma, which, you know, I didn't exactly frame. Um, and they had included a a photo of the the main walkway at school for sentimental value. And I, like, why would I care about that? <laughs> um, well, I'm sure a lot of listeners to this podcast will have a similar feeling about high school. And I think there is a little bit of, for, like, young people reading these books, Once Upon a Time, like, maybe there's some wish fulfillment element like wouldn't it be nice you know for school to be something that everybody people care about so much and if there's ever a character that doesn't really care about school it's always like the book has got to be about like rehabilitating them somehow um right but i also think this is the kind of thing that once you are in high school you stop fantasizing about it's a little bit like because i grew up in the twilight craze and i read twilight uh you know as like a preteen and and the idea that a vampire would go to high school was plausible to me. And then I got to high school and I'm like, oh, so no one would ever do that, ever. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, when you're 14 years old reading Seventeen magazine, it doesn't, it seems like cool and exciting that you're reading Seventeen. And it's not until you're older that you realize like nobody is 17 reading 17 like it is for the younger girls and you know we talk mm-hmm. a lot of, on this show about the book saying at the beginning that they're for ages 12 and up and i hear a lot of stories from listeners and readers that were reading this book even younger than then i feel sort of scandalized thinking about that but it makes sense you know that that was that was the the uh, age range i feel like we have touched on the opening kind of premise of the book that Elizabeth has a camera and all these kids are taking pictures. And I say all these kids because it's like a huge group of, of students, like a long list. They just keep on being more and more people that are that are members of this photography club uh, that Jim Roberts just decided to to start. Um, and this the yeah, Sweet Valley High does have a dark I, how, does we Do we know how many students are there at Sweet Valley? I would say no. We don't know that. Hmm. 
Okay. Because um, we had a photography club, uh, and it was like a couple kids for a 600-person school. So I don't know if this is like a two, 3,000-person school. Maybe this is realistic. I think sometimes it seems like there can't possibly be more than 50 kids at this school because it's like <laughs> where it's like unsaved by the bell. Like, aren't there other kids here other than these six kids that everything seems to happen to? No, I don't know. I think I think it's a pretty sizable school. And um, like almost like everybody that gets actually name dropped in the club, almost all of them are juniors, which is also typical of these books that they focus on the junior class. So it's rare that um, like there'll be a one off character here and there that's like a sophomore or a senior. So, like, right off the bat, like, once we get past these first couple chapters, like, just establishing the fact that there is this photography club and they're going to take pictures, we have Elizabeth um, taking Regina's camera with her everywhere and having a little bit of an emotional connection to the idea of Regina's camera. Um, These books often, you know, I read them through the lens of someone else reading having not like reading along with me but having not read every single book so did you get a sense of the what regina morrow's story was from the book like from the what the book gave you yes because they i mean the exposition could not have been more hit you in the face they said regina had gone to a big drug alcohol party and had died from a rare interaction with cocaine Right. That's I was kind of expecting Regina to be more involved in a story called Regina's Legacy, like something more clues about her and her past. But it's really just that she's got this camera and um, Elizabeth is taking it everywhere. She goes to the beach. She's she's Jessica's kind of annoyed with her because she keeps on using the car for the photography club. Jessica is annoyed at the idea of photography in general because it like falls into this category for her of like dorky things. Um, she says, this is kind of like what's going on in Sweet Valley High. Um, Jessica says at one point, That nerd Alan Walters, continued Jessica, he snuck into cheerleading practice today and was zooming in at us from all over the place. I thought he was only interested in math and chemistry. (laughs) You photography club types are just a bunch of peeping toms. It gives me the creeps. Which, guess what? I mean, she has a really good point there. Because you can't look into it. And then at the end... At the end, which maybe we want to save this for later, but like a girl goes and sneaks into the boys' locker room and takes pictures of them in their towels. That is a crime. I mean, that (laughs) is illegal. And if it's not, it should be. And so the the idea that Jessica is the only one that has an objection to this, it's like, well, this is this stuff isn't okay though. Well, in fairness to the girl, that girl is Claire Middleton, who is actually the girl that is on the football team. But I'm sure she we know she has her own locker room, so but I could see how the boys might have like let her come into the locker room. Um because okay, but what does she's it say their snuck? teammate. Why does it say snuck? Does it say snuck? <laughs> well in this it's case in this case Alan Alan uh Walters definitely did um well, she says sneak. I think Alan Walters, I mean, oh, no, he, he, I'm sorry. He used to be dating used Robin, who's a cheerleader. But yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not even the proper verb tense of that word. So, you know, but it is what Jessica would say. Uh, <laughs> it is what Jessica would say. Yeah, um, in both what of anybody these instances, would say. <laughs> they use the word snuck. Yeah. Um, which, you know, certainly implies surreptitious intent. Absolutely. It is genuinely creepy. And it, it would be creepy, especially if other people also have cameras of this conspicuous size, like they're, you know, sports photographers or if they on were the really sidelines. small. Yeah. That's right. Alan had attached yeah. the, he attached the camera to his shoe when he was trying to get an upskirt. Oh, yeah. Sweet Valley. Yeah. In 2023, he's flying a drone over uh, cheerleading practice. But oh, um, it, it does set up the idea that there's something... A little like people can be uncomfortable around cameras, which is very important because then not far into the book at all, we have Elizabeth enjoying herself at the beach, taking pictures of of people and things. I mean, she's especially interested in people and she sees this crazy thing, right? She sees these three men running together but they aren't wearing running clothes and they look like they're running from something. And Elizabeth, being the little journalist she is, is like, there's something interesting to take a picture of. But immediately after she snaps the picture, she gets antagonized by these men who are like, don't do that. Like, what are you doing? Like yelling at her and, and confronting her. And she's ha- she like, even after she gets in her car, they're still running after her. Well, so this was a special moment in the history of these books because 
finally, I think for the first time ever since his introduction, the dog, Prince Albert, gets to do something in one of these books. And I would like to read that moment. Um, so the dog has gone with Elizabeth to the beach. So let's see. We've got this man menacing Elizabeth. What do you think you're doing? He yelled. Just taking a picture, Elizabeth replied, stating the obvious. And before Elizabeth could apologize for any unintended offense she might have given, the man was running toward her. The next thing Elizabeth knew, he had tried to snatch her camera right out of her hand. Hey! Elizabeth yelled, yanking the camera out of his reach. Suddenly, Elizabeth heard a menacing snarl. Prince Albert ran up and jumped up on the man, his teeth bared. The bald man fell back in surprise. Quickly, Elizabeth sprinted over the dune to her parked car. She jumped inside and started the engine, looking over her shoulder anxiously. The man hadn't given up. He was chasing her. Prince Albert ran after the man, barking loudly. Elizabeth didn't hesitate. She had to trust her dog to know what to do. She couldn't risk having that man catch up to her. Come on, Prince Albert, Elizabeth shouted, her voice high with fear. Then she hit the gas. With a bound, Prince Albert overtook the man and leapt into the back of the convertible, just as Elizabeth pulled away. Action Thrilling. sequence with dog. What kind of dog is Prince Albert, do we know? <laughs> what a great question. Um, Prince Albert is either a yellow lab or a golden retriever. Um, in this book, he's referred to as a golden Labrador retriever. So hmm. what kind of dog is that? I leave it to you to picture in your head which Basically, one of those dogs. He, so he's a dog. He's a dog had by a middle class white family. Oh yeah, he's the, the he's okay. Comet on Full House. Right. He's he's the dog. He dog from commercials. Okay, purebred surely of whatever breed he might be. <laughs> I did want him to be a wiener dog because a oh. wiener dog named Prince Albert would have actually been uh, intentionally funny and not just funny by accident. <laughs> The, like the rest of the Wakefields. Speaking of the ghost writers, they are so clueless. They have no idea they've given this dog this name that means something I can't else imagine. to I mean, that, any that, modern reader. That would not have been in the mainstream in the 90s. That that's Pearson, <laughs> Apparently right? not. I assume. Apparently not. Um, yeah, here's, a, here's the cat. Vertical hood. <laughs> that, hasn't, that hasn't happened yet, but only a matter of time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What what did you think? I really want to know what you thought when, when you got to this part of the book, because as I was saying, we're going along. It's like pretty nothing is happening in this story. And all of a sudden, like, whoa, something, some action is happening. I'm curious how it struck you. Honestly, they're like Nancy Drew, but with no credentials. <laughs> so they're kind of, they're Does teen Nancy detectives, Drew but like bad at it. Uh, she has a nose for a story. At least she's devoted. Than I she's devoted to yeah, mystery because, solving. Yeah. Because Elizabeth sees these people in pursuit and is like, well, that's strange. They're not, they're not, uh, it's so they're true. Not she's running shorts. Isn't that She's not strange? like thinking like a journalist at all. She's thinking like, no. oh, this is an, inter-. she's capturing the world around her. What an interesting thing I've seen today, you know? Yeah. This, well, th- he had a gun pointed at him. That was weird. Um, they didn't have a gun. Yeah, of course they're going to get embroiled in a drug trafficking ring, the biggest one in, you know, the one that's sweeping the nation or whatever. And yet, they're, like, not going to have premarital sex or anything. No. It's just a fascinating look at what are the Wakefields going to do? Well, actually, that sets up perfectly. Those two things are really connected because we have this scene later on, not too much later on. Well, first, Elizabeth is telling Todd about what happened, and she's like, it was really is really jarred by the experience understandably i mean listeners you heard what heard what i just read like that was scary to be like pursued by a man and yelled at you know you so the dog is like saving our life so todd is kind of like not hearing the full extent he's being very like dude about it like especially like he's very horrible white boyfriend dude. Yeah, like, oh, I yeah. think you might, are pro- like, that does sound like it really affected you. I'm sorry that happened to you. Sounds like probably nothing to really worry about, though. You know, you can't go around taking pictures of people. He's not fully wrong, but, but yes. He's, um, yeah. he's got a point, but, um, yeah. yeah, he's basically like, you know, the clown's wearing a mask with blood on it, but, you know, maybe that's the look. Yeah, man. but we have Liz and Todd, like, in the car talking to each other. Of course, nothing happens. Then later on, 
we have this whole scene where Elizabeth has gone to the Wakefields' house for dinner, and they've had this nice dinner, and the book is like, then Elizabeth and Todd went off, you know, to settle down in the living room. And again, it's like absolutely nothing happens between them. I don't think they even kiss. What happens is they um, they watch the news, and Todd makes some joke about, like, they've literally gone to the living room to watch the news together. <laughs> And well, she is wearing pearls to dinner. This is Reaganomics <laughs> yeah. in action. Interesting. It's an interesting glance at Todd Wilkins' new life. Like we haven't seen in, inside this too much, but Todd, in the beginning of the series, his family lived in Sweet Valley. Then they moved away, and then they came back. And when they came back, Todd's father had gotten this much better job, and was suddenly they were wealthy. In this in this book, that is mostly embodied through the fact that Todd, who used to drive a Datsun, now drives a BMW, um, which is having problems, uh, engine problems, interestingly enough. But yeah, I mean, which which tracks what we know about nice cars? Sure. But yeah, it is like a very, the new dynamic is definitely like they're leaning into being rich people. And it means that like Elizabeth dresses up more nicely for dinner. It's interesting. But the Okay, that makes more sense because I was not really clear because Jessica, when she was going to dinner, was a little bit like, oh, so this is a richy thing that she's doing now? Right. Jessica says to Elizabeth, and let's actually talk about that for a second before I go into the news scene, because that'll be nice and chronological, which is so hard to do here at Sweet Valley Diaries, but we do try. Um, so, right. Jessica says is trying to get Elizabeth's attention to tell her a story. And what she says to Elizabeth is something like, wow, I guess dinner at Todd's is a little fancier than it used to be, huh? And that's what she's referring to, is Todd's... Okay old version of Todd and the Wilkins family in Sweet Valley was more middle class. And now it's more upper middle class. Now they have help. I guess so, yeah. But, (laughs) so the story that Jessica is uh, so hot to tell Elizabeth um, involves the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. is uh, a a questionable word in this context, but essentially early on in this book, but not long after this photo was taken, we've got Jessica and Lila. Like, Lila's having to drive Jessica around a lot in the book, right? Because Elizabeth always has the car. And all of a sudden, this blonde man is, like, pursuing Lila's car. And Jessica gets a look at him. And what she thinks is... Auga. <laughs> yes. Auga is right. So they, so she pulls... She's like, pull over. Right? Who's, who's driving the car? Jessica or Lila? This one must be... I don't know. Either way, both of them have very women written by men energy. In the whole <laughs> book, but especially this scene of like, this guy was tailgating me. Oh my god, it's, it's you know, he's showing yeah. initiative. They're That's like hot. looking in the rearview mirror like, you know what, Lila, this guy who's following us is pretty cute. And also their conceitedness comes into play because they're like, cute guy following us. He probably thinks we're cute. Yeah. And then, then their suspicion is confirmed. He's wearing bloody gloves. <laughs> well, here's what she says about him. Um, sure enough, the other car pulled over too. Jessica heard a car door slam. Here he comes, Lila whispered. Wow, is he gorgeous. Wow was right. The boy walking toward the Fiat took... Oh, I guess it is Jessica driving. All right. Sorry. All that... I swear Lila drives Jessica around a lot in this book. Anyway. The boy walking toward the Fiat took Jessica's breath away. What a body, she thought, admiring the way his t-shirt fit a little snugly, making the most of his broad chest and muscular arms. His longish blonde hair was almost white in the sun and the eyes that were glued to Jessica's face were sky blue. Jessica felt herself melting against the seat. So, wow, that is some uh, female gaze we have on a fellow who tells Jessica that his name is Chad, which I thought was amusing. Of course it is. What else would it be? (laughs) Yeah. So Jessica thinks he's like 1920 at this point, like, you know, an older boy, but well within the realm of appropriate as far as Jessica and Lila are concerned, and these books seem to be concerned as well. 
Yeah, um, for the 90s. I think today we'd be like, 16-year-olds, stay away. Yeah, but literally illegal, yes. Things have but... changed. <laughs> Not for them to talk to each other. That being said, yes, just a few years difference, um, she assumes. So she's met this guy. Oh, and what happens is that this guy is like basically referring to, oh, you, I'm so sorry about my friend the other day at the beach. Um, Jessica has no idea what he's talking about, but she puts it together pretty quickly because she knows that Liz has been all over with her camera. Like, oh, Liz probably, you know, pissed this guy's friend off by taking a picture of him. And Chad is like, I would love to see that picture. And like, I'd love to hang out. He seems very like suave and charming at this particular moment in time. And Jessica is like, so hot for this guy that she's like, this is really exciting. She's going to go ahead and let him believe that she is the person that he saw at the beach, because why not? Um, and she'll figure out the fact that he wants to see this photo and she doesn't know what he's talking about. She'll figure that out later. And that he's 40. Whatever. <laughs> well, she, she's solved that with her brain by lying to herself and telling herself that he's probably 19 or 20. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so she's like so Which, in Southern California, I can understand because <laughs> Fair living in Southern California but not being from here, I have been, I have seen some sun damage. <laughs> and as a, a cream cheese person, people are always like, how did you keep your skin the way it is? Um, mm. So not, not shocking. The other thing that's clouding Jessica's vision is that she is so excited that she got this guy's attention and not Lila because they are in competition constantly. So um, she's like, suck it, Lila. He's into me. And Lila's like, you mean he's into your twin sister? <laughs> and Jessica's like, it doesn't matter. They never even, and they clearly right. didn't get to know each other. Um, she, yeah, she's right. So she's really keen, you know, a scene later to tell Elizabeth about this. And Elizabeth is just like, I don't have time for you, which pisses Jessica off. What did you think of that? We've got this dynamic between the twins. You know, I, I could understand where Jessica was coming from. But mm -hmm. I could also understand, like, Elizabeth probably think she does think she's heard this a million times. Yeah. And she has heard this a million times. She's like, of course, another story about a boy. Yeah. Elizabeth is pretty rude to Jessica, but yeah, you do understand why. And Jessica's reaction to the rudeness is that she's like, well, fine. I'm not going to tell Elizabeth about it ever, you know? So, uh-oh. And I'm going to ransack her room. <laughs> yeah, that does happen later. Um, we'll get there. But yeah, um, she's, of course, of course, this is all set up to make it so that there's this big dramatic irony of something happening that the twins can't solve the problem because they're not communicating with each other, a common theme of these books. Um, so back to the Wilkins den where Elizabeth and Todd are not making out at all and instead are watching the news. Side by side, side legs by not touching. <laughs> that's how that's how you you pictured it. Just like primly. Yeah, drinking Metamucil. <laughs> they both have their hands in their on their like on their laps, like they're sitting straight. Five straight up on. forward. <laughs> yes. Well, so this is a part of the book where I had a very genuine oh my oh, god wow. moment. An oh my god moment is a part where as I'm reading this book home alone by myself I say out loud oh my god in this case it was specifically oh my god amazing because I did not see this coming um they are the story is that there is a drug inquiry underway in the senate and a man named Ron Hunter who was involved in a huge drug trafficking ring is like testifying but he's like changing his story so the book says Ron Hunter was expected to name participants in what is believed to be the most widespread drug operation in the U.S. In today's session, however, Hunter categorically denied having been involved in any illegal activities. His latest testimony cast doubt upon the very existence of the drug ring. A picture of a man flanked by two security guards flashed on screen. The man in the middle. Elizabeth gasped, surprise stealing her breath away. Todd, she cried, it's him. And Todd is like, what are you talking about, baby? <laughs> like, Todd, Come even on, after Dave. she explains it. I bet it's it, a different guy. Yeah. She's like, is it, are you sure it's not just that you think it's the same guy? Because in both pictures, there's two other guys with him in the picture. 
And it's like, how could that guy be in Sweet Valley when he's in Washington right now? Which is a good question. <laughs> but that I, I will have to give it to him. That is a good point. But Elizabeth is just sure. She's like, this is why they were chasing me. Like, we need to find out. And also, I should add that Elizabeth, because she's been like, so sure that there's something with this picture, she has kept the photograph, the developed photograph and the negative with her instead of leaving it in the photography room at the high school. The dark room. The dark room. Thank you. Um, or yeah. like the classroom where they have their cubbies and stuff of developed photos. The nerd quarters. <laughs> yeah. And um, that comes to bear very quickly because one of the things that Jessica has already told Chad in their first encounter on the side of the road in Sweet Valley is that the picture is at the high school somewhere. And lo and behold, then you know, the next day they go to the high school and someone has like ransacked and destroyed the photography room. And Elizabeth is like, hmm, is it just my imagination? Or does my stuff seem even more messed with than everybody else's? And this is, this is so sad because they're all their work, their secret project, like it might be ruined. And the, and the equipment is broken, too. It's like a big thing. Yeah, which it's always a, a great indicator of like a badly written female character when they go, oh, was it because of me that the people around me were targeted? Oh, that's what I get. Listen, that's Elizabeth. But she doesn't think that's yes, what I is. get. She thinks she's like, she feels bad, but she's more sure than ever that like something is up with this photo. And now it's like, yes. now she has to get to the bottom of it or it'll all have been for naught, right? Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew she is, yeah. Solving except, a mystery. Well, except that Nancy Drew is good at her job. So I don't know if or, I want to compare she's the two. A, she's like a Velma because this book is about to get some real Scooby-Doo energy real quick. She and Todd are a two-person Scooby-Doo team because they haven't told anybody else about this. No, they're Daphne and Fred. They're oh, the ones without skills. they are. I just couldn't remember Daphne's yeah. name. Of course they're Daphne and Fred. But what they say yeah. is that they're Sherlock and Watson. Ah, that is generous. I think they're, they're Watson and Mrs. Hudson, if anything. And no one's Sherlock. <laughs> no one's Sherlock. <laughs> Meanwhile, like back at the Wakefield house, Chad has called the house chad in, in air quotes let's call him um but you can, it's audio medium so just imagine air quotes around the word chad has called and elizabeth has answered and been like god where does jessica find these guys this guy is such a rude asshole he doesn't even leave a phone number he's just like i'll call back some other time and liz and todd i, I mentioned the enlarger earlier liz and <laughs> sorry uh, oh, the photo enlarger. The enlarger. <laughs> no enlarging happening with uh, Liz and Todd, I'm afraid. Not not in this one. But um, Liz and Todd have fe- like realized that the blonde guy in the photo has uh, a t-shirt on that has words on it. And if they can make the picture bigger, maybe they'll be able to read it. But the equipment at the school is broken now. And they'll have to wait until Monday to use Amy Sutton's dad's equipment because apparently Amy Sutton's dad is a photographer. Which again, I mean, not to pick apart the plausibility of these books because (laughs) that would be, I don't know, that'd be like doing a wine tasting of of Four Loco, but um, (laughs) you buy shirts at places that you're never going to be again. I don't have, I don't have a shirt from, you know, 7-Eleven because I usually go to 7-Eleven. It's deeply weird that this man has a shirt that they eventually find. It says Rick's Place on it. And Rick's Place is a restaurant in Big Mesa. It is deeply weird that this man has this shirt. It's I think it's yes. weird that this restaurant sells shirts. Like if he worked at the restaurant and he was wearing that would all make that would make sense. Like why else? Would, Maybe. Yeah. But but you, you I would think, make I guess a I bought point. it because. Well, I think I bought that part of it because now every restaurant has a shirt. And I know that because my dad gets a shirt at every restaurant. And even <laughs> when I'm not with him, I'm like, do you have, yeah, do you have the, the, this is my resting brunch face shirt in a men's extra large? So I guess that's, that's the different, the difference between Sweet Valley and now. I guess in the 90s, that wasn't quirky cool like it is. I don't know, maybe. I mean, like, certainly there was Hard Rock Cafe or whatever, but... Um, at any rate, Rick's place, it's a clue. They figure that out. 
Um, but they don't know the clue right under their nose is that the blonde guy is this guy that Jessica is trying to date, uh, who says his name is Chad. Um, but Jessica waits all weekend for this guy to call her again. He finally does. And he's a lot nicer to her on the phone than he was to Elizabeth, but he arranges this date where like, like he's going to pick her up and they're going to go out and it's like tonight. And so Jessica, now she's in a hurry. And one of the things he says is bring that photo. Like, I'm really excited to see that photo you took of me and my buddies. So Jessica's like, I got to find the photo. And now she goes into her sister's room and tries to find it and like destroys Elizabeth's room in the process. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, destroys. And also the description of the rooms really gets me because I'm just going to I'm going to bring us back to earlier. This is a really let's tell a not show book. And so Jessica's room, we know, is a cross between the bargain basement of a department store and a mud wrestling pit. Jessica had painted the walls chocolate brown, which was where the mud pit effect came from. The bargain <laughs> basement look resulted from the fact that nearly every item of Jessica's fairly extensive wardrobe was scattered about the room, draped over furniture, or just piled on the floor. Okay. We could make some edits I got to that it. Thank second you. sentence. Yeah. The, the, yeah. <laughs> um... Certainly, probably so, yeah, a more it looks, concise it, way to describe that. Here's what I mean who, by my previous sentence. Yes. Um, who but on yeah, God's just, green earth is painting their walls chocolate brown? Listen, and Jessica and, Wakefield and should they be arrested? Maybe. Listen, Jessica Wakefield is, and we find out about it a lot. Right. Everybody hates it except for Jessica. So uh, it's really, not this as is a, if, so. It's mm-hmm. it continues to be chocolate brown. Always has been, and. I wish there had been a book where we saw her make this choice. Like, that's how momentous and important it is in the world of Sweet Valley that Jessica has a chocolate brown room. They call it the Hershey bar. Like, it's the whole thing. But we don't exactly know why she's done it. And she, every, she's the only one that sees the charm in it. And yeah, she essentially makes Elizabeth's room look like that. Elizabeth, who... Is involved in the whole crime thing. So, of course, comes home, finds the door unlocked, finds her room ransacked. This is all just because of Jessica's uh, rudeness. Jessica was like, she was going to leave a note. She didn't have time to clean up the room, but she was going to leave a note. Yeah. Then she I didn't was, have time to leave a note. on the wall in blood, die pig. But you know, I forgot. <laughs> So, so Jessica doesn't do any of that, doesn't lock the door. And now Elizabeth thinks that the house has been broken into, but nothing's stolen. And Todd is like, well, I don't know. It could have just been Jessica. <laughs> Which at this point, you're like, right. I know, because at this point, you're like, Todd, l- fucking believe this woman. But um, he does seem he is being pretty reasonable at this point. And he has also told Elizabeth that he does believe her, even though it's... Mm, I don't know. He's just trying to be a good boyfriend, I guess. From a horror movie. But pretty soon... Okay, so now we've got to get to the part of the book. It's very cringy, but also just, like, so classic Sweet Valley. We've got this date between Jessica and Chad. So on, we've got the two Wakefield twins. Both on, They're both up to big plans in the evening. Elizabeth and Todd are going to go to Rick's place to try... And hopefully they'll... That's their only lead to try to find out anything about the guys in these photos. Meanwhile, Jessica and Chad are on a date. And where does Chad take Jessica? If we can call it that. If we can call it that. Do you recall where uh, Chad Uh, takes Jessica first? Only the most romantic spot on the planet, bowling. Bowling. And Jessica hates bowling. Wow. Her opinions on bowling are very strong. And very negative. Yeah, I'd say she puts it in with photography and the other nerd bullshit. Oh my god, she's like, I cannot believe. So Chad says he's going to take her to one of his favorite places, and a moment later, Chad hit the blinker and pulled the light blue convertible off the road. Jessica stared in disbelief. Valley bowling? This was one of Chad's favorite places? Was he kidding? Apparently not. Chad got out of the car and waited for Jessica to let herself out and walk around to join him. A a nice detail. Um, I did not spend an hour putting my hottest look together to go bowling, Jessica thought. 
She climbed out of the car, expressing her displeasure with an exasperated sigh. Chad didn't seem to notice. This'll be fun, he said through a cloud of cigarette smoke. Oh, that basically, like, I don't even have to go into the other details. It's so, so good. But there is one other detail that I do have to say, because I cackled out loud. Jessica isn't so sure about Chad from the moment they're in the car driving. Like, he's not talking very much. He he says, he tells her he's an entrepreneur when she asks if he's in school yes. or something. That was, that was a moment that I lit on because... I just assume that means crypto. Even in the 90s, he was ahead yeah. of the curve. It's, um, He's got it's, it's definitely something that still tracks. The sense of like, what do you do? I'm an entrepreneur. And that being a red flag, like that still tracks in the exact same mm. way. Um, <laughs> like more details, please. Nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur. It's just that you need to be more specific, please. You can be an entrepreneur as long as you're actually an entrepreneur. <laughs> right. If you're um, going to tell me I can double my money with decentralized currency, right. I don't know. Well, and of course, in this case, entrepreneur is code for drug dealer, which it still would be, I think, <laughs> in the 21st century uh, for many a drug dealer. Honestly, it would almost be more respectable to be a drug dealer than to be like a crypto bro. <laughs> I, I really believe that. Well, putting that aside, I will. Here's the here's the line. Jessica thinks she doesn't care if he's a crypto bro or a drug dealer or whatever. What she thinks or she's wondering, what is he? Was he the strong, silent type or was he a washout? Well, even if he turns out to be a loser, he's still incredibly good looking. Jessica thought. <laughs> Which I thought, in, I thought that was hilarious. Listening to the back episodes, doesn't she say that about like a racist too? Oh, I don't remember, but probably that's kind of a, a common thought of Jessica's. It's like, well, I'm on a date with this guy. I don't think I like him, but I do like looking at him. <laughs> so, listen. Again, it's it's very women written by men. <laughs> um, you know what? I mean, like, I want to make apologies for Jessica, but she's she's doing... She should not be on this date. And she's funny in bowling. She, like tries to bowl badly so they'll leave and eventually they do leave um she's having a terrible time but she still agrees to go with him to a second location luckily the second location is rick's Rick's place place. of course where todd and elizabeth already are they've been waiting out the whole thing they found out that this guy is like comes there sometimes but nobody knows anything about him so this further complicates and confuses the whole t-shirt thing. Like, why does he have this t-shirt? It does. And you can't, I could never figure out, like, how local is Chad? Is he here tracking down yeah. uh, the this guy he's kidnapping? Is he actually based somewhere else? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that I don't that think these, these don't details worry. are important in the Sweet Valley universe. No, I mean, we're never going to see Chad again. But um, something that... Uh, Jessica sees in Chad is that maybe he's actually not as young as she originally thought he was. Um, And when they finally arrive to the restaurant, Todd and Liz have been eating like everything on the menu, like trying to kill time to stay there for a longer time. And finally, when Elizabeth sees Jessica and Chad enter the restaurant, she's like, oh, my God, like, you know, I got to know what's going on, but they, she still kind of like stakes it out and everything seems sort of fine. But then Elizabeth watches as the scene takes place between Jessica and Chad, where Chad finds out that Jessica doesn't have the picture with her and turns um, into a very bad man. So Jessica tells Chad that she left the photo in the school darkroom and Chad really stupidly, if you ask me, says to her, no, you didn't. He growled. I've already looked there. Jessica stared across the table at him. He already looked there? What do you mean? She asked, even though Chad's meaning was only too clear. Chad is the person who broke into the Sweet Valley High darkroom. Why? Why would anyone be so interested in a photograph? But Jessica had no chance to speculate further. Chad reached across the table and gripped her wrist tightly. I think we'd better find that picture, Jessica, he said quietly. Jessica felt the blood drain from her face. Chad wasn't fooling around. His grip on her wrist was like a vice. Before her eyes, Chad had changed from a cute boy to a dangerous man. And that last sentence I thought was like, oof, boy, that's powerful. That's the story of uh, a lot of really scary dates and not just in Sweet Valley. 
It is. He also, he drops the charming sociopath act a little too soon. Agreed. Yeah. And what's actually, what's genuinely scary is that then she leaves the restaurant quietly with him. With Jessica, you'd expect even, you know, me with my, my novice experience with Jessica, she's going to scream and say, hey, this guy's freaking me out. But she just yeah. leaves. And we should, yeah, she should have a rape whistle, honestly. But like, Jessica has not seen Elizabeth and Todd in the restaurant. So she does not know mm-hmm. that, like, I don't know. It's She doesn't know that there's a chance that she's going to be saved from whatever the hell's going on until a few minutes later in the parking lot when she, like, sees Todd and Elizabeth in Todd's car, which several times in this book, like, doesn't start right away just to create a little suspense. Um, but, and Jessica points to her... Uh, like Letterman's jacket as a clue. And Elizabeth knows this is a clue. So then there's a big car chase. And uh, there is actually a literal like drag racing thing where Chad thinks, oh, this like rich boy and his BMW is going to try to race me down. And it's all very exciting, but also like kind of stupid. And Todd ends up getting pulled over, which is the best thing that could possibly happen because they're like, my sister has been kidnapped. And Elizabeth puts it together that Jessica was trying to give her a clue that uh, they were on their way to Sweet Valley High. And she actually says the phrase like, (laughs) follow them. Like they're going to Sweet Valley Valley High. It was like, they said it. They said the name of the series in the book. It was also, it was very like, have you seen this hashtag on Twitter, criming while white? Oh, no, I and it's haven't. Basically, it's, it's white people telling stories of when the police have like, oh, gosh, you're you're drunk. We better get you home safely, honey. Um, so this is very like, oh, your sister on the way, the full battalion behind you. Yeah, I think that's that's actually definitely something that's happened even already in this short short we're not that far into this season that's already happened in uh this season of of this book with cops but that's kind of the sweet valley police force and it's kind of sweet valley there aren't very many people that aren't white that are a part of these stories so everybody's criming while white practically yeah i mean the the this is the scariest part of the book in a way but it also unlike with the super thrillers it all unfolds pretty quickly like Chad like p- breaks a window and like makes Jessica crawl through the broken window to get into the high school. He's like she's nervously unable to open her locker and he's like trying to kick the locker open, but then pretty quickly there's a huge confrontation and Todd is like helping the cops take Chad down. And it's all very exciting and stupid at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's really all I have to say. I mean, and, that, and that's essentially like, oh, well, that's that's the end of the like action portion of the story. But now is where this is where the Scooby Dooness of this story really kind of crystallizes because they go along to the police force. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that this man, Chad, I think they're still calling him Chad, uh, says essentially like I would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for these these two over there. But. Yeah, I he actually also, wrote that down. <laughs> he also says something that at first you're like, what is he talking about? Or he's like, twins, like, should have should have figured, you know, twins have caused me so much trouble already. So now he reveals what this is all about. Um, and uh, we should tell the gladiators what is going on with Rob Hunter, the man who is supposedly going to be testifying to Senate about his drug ring, but has changed his tune. And is somehow in Washington, D.C. and Sweet Valley, California at the same time. He's a twin. He is an identical twin, too. And his twin is also involved in the drug dealing. And his name is Rich Hunter, (laughs) which is funny now that I say it out loud. And Rich and Rob, uh, they feel differently about <laughs> continuing their drug their drug trade. So, uh, yeah, these men have kidnapped Rob Hunter and replaced him with his brother Rich, who was changing his tune. And when Elizabeth saw them running, what she was seeing was Rob having escaped his kidnappers and trying to run away from them and them, like, reclaiming him. So the reason these guys are so afraid of the picture being seen is that somebody might put together that there are two of these guys and that there's they're, they're twins and that the 
twin, the man in Washington, D.C. is an imposter. I mean, I wish that, like, that there could have been a whole book all about that, but this is literally, it's given to us in such short order that I had to go back and reread it because I was confused. Like, wait, what happened with these twins in the Senate? And, like, what is kidnapping? What's going on? A lot of kidnapping. Well, it just feels, yes, it feels very universe appropriate of, like, how, how do we, how do we change the course of events for this drug inquiry? Um, probably with twins and like, I don't know, some tomfoolery and not just by <laughs> killing the guy. Between that and Chad getting arrested and immediately divulging everything about the drug ring, I'm starting to suspect that this author doesn't know about the intricacies of the drug trade and possibly even about crime itself. I mean, it's so like 80s, 90s, the whole thing, because then this is where after we've gotten all of this and, you know, the epilogue is back at the high school, uh, we have the mural, the photo essay has finally gone up on the wall and everybody's enjoying looking at it and knows what happens now. And, you know, Elizabeth has a chance to think about everything that's happened to her over the past you know, week or so. And she thinks about Regina and how poetic it is that, you know, Regina's death was at the hands of drugs and something about having Regina's camera. It was like Regina was helping her create some justice in the world of drug use. You know, it's all very like, oh, I see what we're doing here. Okay. This is about the war on drugs and get, keeping high schoolers off of drugs. Okay. Regina, got it. Cool. Yeah. Which then, that doesn't really make sense because <laughs> if this is, I mean, <laughs> that, that can be applied to a lot. But if this is supposed to be kind of a, oh, this could be your child, then it doesn't really make sense having her die of a really rare drug interaction. Well, I th- it's not this could be your child. It's this could be you. You know, like, what if you have a rare heart condition and you try cocaine at a party and it kills you, you know? Right. But then the problem is, you like, sometimes you don't have a rare heart condition. I mean, I do. So actually, this is perhaps relatable to me. But, <laughs> like, were, were drugs that were cut with other stuff not a thing back then? Because surely that would be more likely and sure. could affect everyone. I think there's a certain naivety. I mean, there really is to mm-hmm. the the way that the whole drug thing is talked about both many, many books ago at this point, it's been quite a while since the book where Regina died. And now, you know, it's just like, I mean, and I think it goes back to what we were saying before in a way about these books actually being for even younger kids. So hopefully Mm -hmm. I think in the eyes of the, of the authors, the, these books hit these kids before they've even really been confronted with the possibility of trying drugs and is effectively going to give them a a feeling and a conviction about drugs being bad that they will carry into the years of their lives when it's actually going to come up. And I will say, I, I imagine I brought this up back when Regina died, um, that there we saw a video in health class when I was in middle school that was about, I mean, it was fictional, but it was the point of the story was, was that a boy with a heart condition tried cocaine and died. And I, yeah. it absolutely stuck with me. Like, I, it haunted me in a way. Like, not that I, I mean, I, nobody was offering me cocaine. <laughs> I've never been offered cocaine in my <laughs> life, I don't think. But I didn't, again, did not go to, um, you know what? It would, wouldn't have mattered what school I went to, you know? I went to private college with lots of people that I'm sure were doing cocaine and grad school in Southern California with people that were doing cocaine feet away from me, I'm sure, but no one offered it to me because I am an Elizabeth and I do not give off the wants to do cocaine vibe. Um, this is more about yeah, me. Yeah, me, but, me but too. I also would not have In my it. high school, people did have cocaine parties, but I was not invited, shockingly <laughs> enough. I'm sure we would have been friends in high school. Were we in high school at the same time, Phoebe? I um, think so. So do you have um, anything else uh, that you want to observe about Regina's legacy, the book, not the thing? Yes, not about the thing. Because really, it's not really about that, and I wouldn't be naming this book that. Um, So, yes. The thing that I need to address is at the very end. And it's so shocking. It's it's just like so 90s and so awful. Yes, I think you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. 
Yeah, and I'm really um, not looking forward to reading a whole book about it next next time. I am horrified that someone put this into writing. First of all, the 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 passage that I will read is that. Uh, do we know Robin before? We sure do. So, everybody, okay. I mean, brace yourselves for whatever like content warning comes to mind when we talk about the fact that it's Robin Wilson's story. And uh, the book written in the 90s is going to address issues for Robin Wilson. So please go right ahead, Phoebe. I will unfortunately go right ahead. Um, Listen, so they get we are literally because... about to read a whole fucking book about it. So not you and I. Oh, I will all spare you that. But I have a friend that I'm I not going to I kind of want to see what's going to happen. But... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe it'll be. Maybe well, they'll listen to anyway. it. Anyway. Anyway. Enough preamble. Please go ahead, Phoebe. Yes. Enough, enough mush mouth wishy washing. Okay, um, so they go to the donut shop because this is about, you know, this is written in the 90s, but it's really the 80s, and this is an 80s that is a pastiche of the 50s, so really they're going to a donut shop. True. And um, Robin Wilson put out her hand and then pulled it back. Then with a sigh, she grabbed a jelly donut. One donut's not going to hurt you, Jessica told her. Not that I'd risk it if I were Robin, she thought. If she had been fat once, the way Robin had, Jessica was sure she would limit herself to carrot sticks for the rest of her life. You know, what an 11-year-old should read. Yeah, and you know what? These books have this thing of shifting perspective, like, where, sure, that is the way that Jessica Wakefield, who is um, a petty, popular, beautiful girl that has never had to worry about her weight, um and used to really not like Robin Wilson when she was fat, you know, that is the way that she would think about these things. Jessica is bad, you know, <laughs> like we're, so, I mean, lots of people love Jessica, I know, but like this is, she's not evolved in this way, but the thing, this is a great example of why and how that kind of fails us and fails the young readers of this book. Sometimes the shifting perspective, because there is a certain nuance to understanding that Jessica's perspective is fucked up here. And we understand it, you know, as adults mm -hmm. in the 21st century. But there's a line earlier in the book, too, where uh, they're eating key lime pie. And Todd's I know mom... that as well. OK, did you yes. write down what she said, what Todd's mom says? She refers to it as a sinful dessert, which. That yeah. kind of thing, I think that's a little bit more nuanced and complicated and like people would people say that people say that today yeah um true. so that it's was true, less but I was like, jarring and shocking and awful but yeah <laughs> elizabeth is complimenting mrs wilkins on the key lime pie that they've just eaten and mrs wilkins says having a company over is a great excuse to enjoy us to indulge in a sinful dessert and yeah it's like is that the thing, a thing that moms would say and that people of any age might still say today? Absolutely. But I did kind of read that thinking like, but why did you have to, did you have to even include this detail in this book right now? Why? Anyway, they ate pie and they, they, um, it was their cheat pie or whatever. Like yeah. they weren't allowed to just, Elizabeth was allowed to just enjoy it, but Mrs. Wilkins had to make it sinful. And Robin can't, it cannot eat, is afraid to eat a donut. So, yes, that's and how that's going to be um, it, it, it's like not even something you can even start to address because it's that level of fucked up. But there is this real failure by whoever's writing this, if it was the Oxford person or not, of, you know, what should like an 11 year old hear? Because the thing that the, about 11 year old girls having been one is you absorb everything you hear about food as, oh, well, that's probably true. Sure. And I, I don't think that young women have like a great uh, sense of objectivity about what someone's saying about food. And there should have been a, a mandate for the ghostwriters. Hey, let's let's not give anyone an eating disorder. Yeah. Well, yeah, a I mean, it's food bar. and it's appearance. Like, what if you are, um, you know, a non slender child reading this book and you are reading Jessica's opinion about what how terrible it must be to be fat. And is it realistic mm -hmm. for Jessica to have that opinion, the, being the character that she is? Sure. But Jessica is somebody that the you know, young readers were like kind of aspiring to be. So, you know, a judgment from her on Robin is a judgment from her on on the reader, too. And I mean, I, I, I'm curious if 
the next book is actually I think there's a slight possibility and I have my fingers crossed that it is actually going to redeem itself a little bit in this arena. It's going to do it in a way that is still not going to feel progressive enough for us in the 21st century. This is my prediction. But um, we always like to tease the next book here uh, on Sweet Valley Diaries. So would you read the last uh, passage? Um, And if we can get into a little bit more about the book and anything else we have to say about it in extra drama next week. Um, So the very last page of the book, there's like a part that's like in italics and Mm -hmm, sets up mm -hmm, book mm -hmm. 74. Could you read that for us? Yes. Will Robin's past come back to haunt her? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 74, The Perfect Girl. Right. And I guess I should add that tease is not what gives me hope about the next book. It is reading the back cover of the next book that made me think maybe okay. it's going to be about Robin learning that it's okay for her to eat food again. But it's going to be a painful ride no matter what. And the friend that I have joined me is going to hate it. <laughs> As they should. Um, well, I know we have more to say about Regina's legacy, but let's uh, let's talk about it in our in our extra drama bonus episode. Um, for now, I want to say thank you so much, Phoebe. Um, and I have to ask you a final question, which is, given what you've seen of this book, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I think this is probably the easiest question I've ever answered. I am an Elizabeth. <laughs> yes, you did. And we did however, have to sort of however, get to it. However, my best friend is named Jessica, and so I oh. find this entire series to be anti-Jessica slander, <laughs> because my friend Jessica is also an Elizabeth, so I don't know about all that, but yes, I'm an Elizabeth. That's great. I mean, I'm well, literally a professional writer, so that might be a giveaway. Yes, yes. I would have to agree, and um, we all know that I'm an Elizabeth, but for now, um, thank you, Gladiators, for joining us, and... You know, there's an easy moral in this book. It is, no matter how boring your sister's dating stories are, just let her tell you the story. You know, just let her, just let her get it out. You know, she's your sister. She's excited. Listen to it. All right. See you next time. America?